Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast, episode 154 and episode 12 of our Albion, Florida series. We're going to discuss the Revolutionary War again today. We're going to we're going to get into a couple of other events that happened on the East Florida side of, of the division in Florida during the Revolutionary War. So where we left off in, in April of 1777, the Americans or the Continental Army are preparing for another invasion of East Florida. And that invasion came in May 1777. Though there had actually been intelligence, so the British knew the second there were American troops who crossed the St. Mary's River on May 10th. Now, there had been American forces that crossed the border on May 10th, but there was supposed to be a much larger invasion consisting of a naval flotilla that was going to carry lots of U.S. United States, uh, Continental Army, whatever you want to call them, lots of Patriot forces by sea into East Florida towards St. Augustine. And a company of militia cavalry traveling over land. Now, there was supposed to be a rendezvous point of these American um, forces, but British intelligence learned of the expedition and they located the cavalry. The British established an ambush at a location known as Thomas Creek, and this is now kind of called the Thomas Creek Massacre, uh, but we're going to call it the Battle of Thomas Creek. So the Battle of Thomas Creek, which took place in present-day Nassau County, Florida, uh, pretty close to Callahan, actually, near, near Callahan, was a British victory which repulsed the invasion by the Continental Army. So this invasion took place in May of 1770, as we talked about, and the British forces included about 400 regulars, including the East Florida Rangers, which we talked about in the last episode, Native American allies, which were mostly Creek Native Americans, and uh, again, a smattering of British regulars, about 400 in total. They moved up the St. John's River and eventually camped close to where the Continental Forces were at Thomas Creek near Callahan because they knew where they were, right? They had intelligence that told told them where the overland forces were coming in and also that there was going to be this rendezvous point with uh, the naval flotilla that was invading East Florida. Brown and his Creek allies detached from the main force on the night of May 15th, 1777. This is really important. And raided the Continental Camp, located near Callahan, or what is now Callahan, made off with about 15 horses and some other provisions. So as the Americans are trying to regroup, they get attacked by the full British force. The Battle of Thomas Creek, as we call it, as we, as we said we're going to call it, repulsed the second of three British attempts to capture, uh, excuse me, uh, the second of three American attempts to capture the British 
the very important British strategic city of St. Augustine in East Florida. And the naval flotilla that was supposed to meet at the rendezvous point got distracted. General Lee, General Charles Lee had been called off to another front. And this whole thing ended kind of chaotically for the American forces. May 25th, they uh, regrouped on Amelia Island and then went back across the border to Georgia to try and regroup. So following the American retreat, Brown and his East Florida Rangers, which again were made up of, of, of elite raiders, basically, a lot of Native Americans, as we talked about in the last episode, really intensified their raiding across the border into Georgia to the point where plantations and uh, uh, small villages in, in South Georgia were constantly under attack coming from Florida. So with this in mind, you have the Continental Army thinking, okay, they need to make another move toward East Florida, toward St. Augustine. So after the defeat of the Continentals at Thomas Creek, you have real concern about what to do about East Florida. And actually, I should mention at one point, the Rangers uh, raided Augusta successfully. They got within about 10 miles of Savannah at one point with their raiding parties in, in late 1777 and early 1778. So... What ends up happening is in January, late January 1778, General Robert Howe formulated plans for yet another American invasion of East Florida. This would be the third. However, unlike Charles Lee, whose invasion plans had been kind of scatterbrained, for lack of a better term, had just been these incomplete plants heavily reliant on militia and untrained soldiers and small forces, Howe decided he would not rely on the local militia, although they would be part of the invasion, but instead build the bulk of his army and his invasion force around regulars. And these regulars would go up against the British regulars. Because what had happened is you ended up having militia. There were still enough British regulars in Florida that these militia parties from Georgia would get – they just were, didn't have the discipline if they were going to meet the, um, the British regulars in battle. They didn't have the discipline. They didn't have the training. Add to that the East Florida Rangers who are an elite raiding party and you've got really a one-sided situation. So General Howe on the American side, obviously there were General Howe's on the British side too, common name. Uh, Gen General Howe, Robert Howe, is trying to solve this. However, it wasn't particularly politically popular. And we're, we're not going to get into the, the details of this, too deep into it. If there's a podcast on Georgia history or, or, or writings about Georgia history, there is a lot written about the political battles in Georgia, particularly around this third invasion of East Florida. And Howe's plans were not popular in Georgia. I, I, what had happened by the time this invasion is authorized is so much of Georgia had come under, populated areas of Georgia had come under siege from British regulars in Florida 
that there was a concern in Georgia that if you deployed British regulars and attacked Florida, then again, their towns and cities and plantations would be very vulnerable to raiding. Because the, the threat from the British didn't only come from, obviously, from Florida. It could come from, uh, from the north also. Although, uh, at that point, Florida, I, uh, obviously, St. Augustine being geographically where it is in proximity to Savannah, was a much greater threat. Uh, Charleston had not been captured by the British yet at this point. So in March of 1778, the m- militia that is going to be counted on for this invasion, this invasion hasn't taken place yet, by the way, gets routed, gets wiped out at Fort Barrington on the Alta Tamaha River in southern Georgia. And the East Florida Rangers now are in control of this fort. So effectively, uh, you know where the Altahama River is. If you know where it is in South Georgia, now effectively there is control. Before it was just raiding. Now there's actually control by the British up into southern Georgia and connected through to East Florida. So they're getting closer to Savannah. So on June 28th, General Howe sent James Screbin and his forces after Brown and the Rangers. Screbin's forces are able to actually penetrate East Florida. They go around where Brown's forces are at Fort Barrington, and they capture Fort Tonin, which is named for the governor of East Florida, Patrick Tonin in modern-day Duval County, Florida. So what happens at this point? But on June 30th, you have British regulars under Major Mark Prevost and uh, Brown's elite Florida Rangers coming from opposite directions to encircle and defeat the American forces Uh, which is a combination of militia and cavalry. And this engagement was much larger than the one fought at Thomas Creek uh, the previous year. The British had close to uh, 8,000 regulars, uh, and in addition to, obviously, Brown's forces, which were a couple hundred in number. And you had cavalry and militia, as I said, for the Americans, although... Probably their numbers weren't more than 300 or 400, so they're outnumbered, they're surrounded, and they get routed. And at this point, uh, they are trying to escape. They have to repair a bridge, and they get attacked again by the British. The, 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 The Continental Army is trying to repair a bridge And uh, they get attacked by Brown and his East Florida Rangers. And so they they retreat, the Americans. And the Continental Forces were out of food. They were out of provisions. And the Georgia militia helps them out, sending them some rice. 
so on July 6th, they're regrouping, they're reorganizing on the Florida side, the British side of the St. Mary's River. But they're down to about 400 soldiers. And again, uh, the accounts differ. I, I had said they may not have had more than that number at the battle. There are some accounts that say they had there were more American forces. There were uh, in excess of 1,000 British soldiers between regulars and, 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 and these Florida Rangers. The American numbers are a little murkier. So, Howe decides that he wants his forces to come back and, and meet the British forces again somewhere in the Jackson, what we would call now the Jacksonville area, somewhere near the St. John's River. But food is scarce. Their um, provisions are running low. Their supply lines are effectively dead. They, they have taken provisions and food from the militia who are now in a similar lot to what the regulars were in. So uh, July 14th, they call it off. They go back to uh, toward Georgia, and they would not try and attempt to invade East Florida again. Now, what's ironic about this is that that just encouraged more raiding from the East Florida Rangers, who continued to raid Georgia regularly. And actually, uh, uh, Screvin, who led this uh, led this march, he was uh, killed himself in a raid by Brown's Rangers in November of that year. So in November of 1778. So that's it. The British are not going to be threatened again in terms of their control of East Florida. The Americans have dropped back and St. Augustine, swelling with loyalist populations, freed or runaway African-American former slaves who have taken up arms, uh, Thomas Brown and his East Florida Rangers with uh, uh, extensive Native American uh, volunteers who have been trained by the British and who, as I, I mentioned uh, in a previous podcast, by this time, despite their own racial, their own very regressive racial views, many British leaders, including Brown, have decided that the uh, Native Americans are preferable to the to the patriots, to the rebels, to the, to, to the white rebels that they're more trainable, they're not rabble, they're not um, uh, disrespectful, right? They're, they're, they're people who will follow orders, unlike... Uh, uh, look, I, again, I think I mentioned this in the previous podcast. There was a... Uh, uh, what it came out of the French and Indian War, despite a British victory with American colonial soldiers, was a lot of uh, contempt by the British officer class, elite British officers, toward American soldiers, and American discipline and American customs. And many of those in the officer class decided, okay, we don't like this so-called, uh, what they you know, would say the red races, right? The Native Americans. But we think that they're more trainable and probably more reliable than the American colonists, who at this point are put at the bottom of the heap in the mind of, minds of a lot of British officers, that they're uh, rabble, they're uncouth, a lot of these stereotypes of America continued, by the way, in, in Britain for, for, for decades after the Revolutionary War. So the British at this point, despite their own racial prejudices, have no problems, no problem giving arms to Native Americans, no problem giving arms to African Americans. Let them kill the rebels. That's, that's, that's their thought. So Brown 
has done that. And they've all now kind of regrouped in St. Augustine. And they've got a fortified city with all of these armed British troops, armed runaway slaves, armed Native Americans. It's effectively become a military compound and the population has swelled with loyalists who fled from the southern colonies. And the next couple of years in St. Augustine is, is going to be an interesting time because St. Augustine is going to be at kind of its height, colonial height, from 1778 to 1781, 1782 time period. So thank you for listening again. We'll be back again next week with another new Florida History Podcast.